Good morning, Eastside family. We want to welcome you here this morning. We want to let our children that are ages three through third grade head their way that direction in junior worship. But if you're new here with kids that age, just follow the crowd going in that direction. And this is also a good time if you've come here this morning with a heavy heart. Um, sometimes you just can't pay attention to the sermon, and I understand that. We have some people, my wife is one of them this morning, who's around the corner in the prayer room uh, with one of our shepherds and a couple other people, and they would, be, they would love to pray with you. The rest of you who are here, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 2. And before we go there, I, or as we're going there, I want to remind you of a very important aspect of our of our worship, and that is the offering that we give. We make it possible for you to, to give your offering in four different ways. You can mail a check to the church address, as some of you do, and we appreciate that. You can give through an automatic draft through your bank. That way, you don't even have to think about it. If you've got a bad memory, you can go online to our website. And you, can, you can even do that right now while I'm preaching. And you can click give, and you can follow the easy directions that are there. Or if you're in the auditorium, you can drop off your offering there uh, at the table on your way out. And if you're not here in person, just want to look at you as straight at the camera and say what it means to us, how much it means to us that you are here and that you are here with us. And we are, we are honored, we are humbled that you are here today with us. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Once a year, I go to the doctor for an annual checkup and it's against my will it's according to the mature responsible decision of my wife who schedules it for me and whenever I go for an annual checkup primarily it's just to see how you're doing and then to say okay Eddie based upon what I'm seeing here here's some here's some things you can do some corrections you need to make to improve your health well, this past Monday, our nation celebrated our annual Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And this is a, a really important day in our nation to remember the accomplish of, accomplishments of this very influential civil rights leader and all the ways that he helped create an awareness, a greater awareness, you might say, or a call to change in the areas of discrimination and racism and prejudice. But I think it also serves as a is a time to stop as an, as an annual checkup to ask, all right, how are we as a nation doing? How are we as a church doing? How are you doing? And I think it's also a good time for us to stop in, as followers of Jesus and to be reminded, well, wait a minute, what does God have to say about it? Google's BibleGateway.com, do a word search for partiality. It's a theme discrimination, all that huge theme in Scripture. So we need to be reminded of that, and we're going to do that today as we go to James chapter 2. I think there are times when we can be lulled into thinking that, well, we've got this solved and the problems are behind us, and then all of a sudden, a story like the George Floyd story occurs, and regardless of what you believe or not about the facts of the story, it was pretty clear to me that that story just ripped off a scab in our nation, reminding us there's still a lot of animosity that exists in our nation regarding these topics. and We still have a ways to go. But then now you look at it and you kind of think, well, it seems like the dust and the 
smoke has settled with the George Floyd story. And so, man, things are kind of quiet to some degree. And now we can fool ourselves again into thinking, yes, that's behind us. We're making progress. And let's be honest, another story is going to break. And I guess I would have to admit that as a, as a middle-class white man in our nation, I think I can find it easy for me to live in this naive bubble thinking, discrimination, what are you talking about? That's a thing of the past. But just about three or four weeks ago, a good friend of mine posted something she she um, was, when I lived in Baton Rouge, she was a distinguished professor at LSU. She retired from her work there. She moved to Aurora, Colorado to live with her daughter. And then after her daughter passed away, she moved back to Atlanta. And she posted this on Facebook. She wrote, I was watching the LSU football game with two guys who happened to be white. They were talking about the traffic before and after the game. And I said, when I was teaching at LSU, I would rush to get out before the heavy traffic. And one of the guys said, oh, you mean you were a teacher's assistant? I said, no. I haven't felt that kind of racism in a long time. I think this is interesting. Look at what she says. I want to move back to Colorado where my church friends would meet me at the door. My daughter moved to Colorado to get away from racism. Please pray for me, I don't experience that. But something just tells me in that story that she tells that had she not been a black woman, but had she been the stereotypical look of a professor, of, had she been like a guy in his 60s with a nice neatly trimmed beard with some gray in it, with some nice glasses on, nice trousers, and you got to have the tweed jacket with the little shoulder pads here. Had that been the individual talking with this man that day, probably he wouldn't have concluded that she was just a teacher's assistant. I think we can make such mistaken and hurtful conclusions when we make evil judgments based upon our skewed perceptions of outward appearance and prejudice. And I borrow that word evil judgments here from James chapter 2. He's very direct in this passage. On Monday of this week, on our holiday, Dr. King's youngest daughter, the Reverend Bernice King, she spoke at the famous Ebenezer Baptist Church, and that was where her father once preached. And she stated in her, in her talk that she says, we haven't yet fully embraced and acted on the lessons from her father. She said that from her point of view, people too often cheapen, and I'm quoting her now, they cheapen her father's legacy into a comfortable and convenient king offering easy platitudes she said we love to quote king in and around the holiday but then we refuse to live king 365 days of the year and she went on to state that she's just exhausted her words exasperated and frankly disappointed to hear her father's words about justice quoted so extensively alongside so little progress. 
And so when you read James, there's a very similar sentiments that you get into chapter 1 and, and James is writing to a group of Christians and to a Christian church where there was a lot of quoting of God's word. There's a lot of hearing and speaking about what is right and what we should do. But James says we need to be doers of the word. There was a void of action of the words that they were speaking. And after stating that, he then moves into chapter 2 to say, here's an example of what I mean by that. So let's begin with verse 1, and I'm reading from the NIV. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Now, just stop there for a minute. There's a temptation to skip over those introductory words to this, to this discussion here and go straight to favoritism because that's like the juicy thing he's going to be talking about. But if we do that, I think perhaps we're missing a very important truth that lays the foundation in this passage. He first draws our attention to see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think the reason he's doing this, when I see Jesus in all his glory, it somehow helps to compel me to see myself and to see others appropriately for who we are. He doesn't say believers in Jesus, but it, instead he says believers in our glorious Lord, meaning master or ruler. Glorious meaning that we see him. He is the one who is exalted. He is the one who is above all others. And as you go on in this passage, you're going to see that what the Christians were doing in this church is that they were seeing some as glorious. They were seeing some as exalted based upon outward appearance. And Paul's point is when we see our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, it's like no one has glory. It's like no one is exalted. He says it just levels us all out on an equal ground as he says brothers and sisters seated side by side. And speaking of as, as believers, I believe he's making the point, and he goes on to make the point in the second half of this chapter, it's just incompatible to be a person of faith and show partiality. And he's going to get strong in the second half of this chapter. He says, if that's a part of an individual's life who claims to be a believer, that is a sign of dead, unsaving faith. Oh, church, if, if we could just Grow to see Jesus in all of his glory and magnificence. I think it would help us have a perspective on our own selves and view others appropriately, none of us better than the others. So then he goes on in chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4, and, and he does a second thing that stands out in this passage, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. I would suggest that he acknowledges the problem. And I believe that James was, was very courage, courageous here because he's challenging something that is so incredibly close to home. He's a person of the Jewish race and the Jewish race in his day was rife with class distinctions and, and racism and such words that he's speaking here could have been and probably were taken. He could have been really offending his own people, his own family and his own friends. Not only that, 
but he's confronting rich people. And, and in the church world, preachers don't confront the rich people. You do that and you lose your source of money. You're just thinking, wouldn't it be better to be silent, not rock the boat, let's just keep the peace. But is that peace? Is silence always the way to peace? I think for some of us, yeah. If we'd say less, that would create a more peaceful atmosphere around us. But there are times when something needs to be addressed, when problems need to be acknowledged. That's what we see here in this particular passage. There was something for James that was more important than his Jewish national pride and then the money of the wealthy that were there. And it was love, as he speaks of later in this chapter. Love for all. And that was just not for sale. He's writing to a myriad of different groups of people in these churches. There were rich and there were poor. There were men and there were women. There were adults and there were children. There were Jews. There were Gentiles. There were educated and there were not educated. There were, there were slaves and there were masters. All seated next to one another. He says, we're all brothers and sisters. Should I speak on this? Am I stirring things up just by talking about it today? Am I just... Eddie, everything was so great, and then you got to preach on this. We're doing fine. Or were we? Are we just lulled into thinking we were? Or am I just fueling the fires that were dying down by bringing this up again? Because there are, I'll admit, there are extremes, aren't there? There are some who they see racism everywhere in everything and in everybody except in themselves and their own race, and that's like all they ever talk about. But then there's the other extreme that people who don't see it anywhere and they never speak about it. God's wisdom here in James chapter 2 says, no, there are times when we need to stop and acknowledge the problem wherever it truly exists. And so he does it here in the first half of this passage in two different ways. He identifies it using the word partiality, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, well, partiality, actually the word that I'm using in the NIV is favoritism, I believe. The ESV uses the word partiality. I believe you could easily insert the word here discrimination or, or racism or prejudice. It's basically making judgments of one's worth and value based upon outward appearance. That's what this word means. And so there's a lot of different words that could define that. And so... He moves on in verse 2 to say, okay, let me just give you an example of what that looks like. Verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting. Stop for a minute. Church, you need to understand if you don't, and so many of us do, and I'm thankful for that. When a person walks through these doors into this family, huge, huge for us to be aware of that. For them, it may be the biggest decision they've made in ages. And they may be nervous. And they may be wondering, how am I going to be received? They may haven't been here in years, or maybe this is their first time. What happens, regardless of what they look like, regardless of how different, that is a, a crucial moment, how we treat them. And that's what James is going to tell us here. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. 
If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I I listened recently to an elderly black man tell the story of after coming home from fighting overseas as a soldier in the United States, and I think it was World War II, based upon the, the history of his story. And he told of how after he came home, he got on a bus and he sat directly behind the bus driver. But he knew now, as a black man, according to the law, which is to wrap your brain around that, according to the law of his day, he was supposed to sit in the back. But he'd been a soldier fighting in the United States Army. Surely, surely that allowed him to sit behind the driver. But all of a sudden, everyone's eyes locked on him. He tells the story. Stern looks that he got. And he was told to go sit in the back of the bus. And that reminds us of the incredible story of the courageous Rosa Parks says, this is not right. It reminds us of stories of laws. Laws that we had in place of separate swimming pools, separate water fountains, separate seating in the theater. Some of you sit here, some of you sit there. It's, it's, it's like, seriously, did that happen? It's unfathomable. It's like, it's as though there were some who were clean and there are some who were unclean. It's those based upon outward appearance, some are better than others. One of the members of our church, and he, David Hurwitz, is now way too old to, to be here. He's not able to come, nor is his wife, Ilsa. But David grew up in a Jewish family, baptized into Christ later on in life, but he fought in World War II, met Ilsa in Germany, brought her home as as a war bride, ridiculously poor after they came back from World War II, didn't have a place to live. They finally found... Uh, temporary accommodations in a boarding house until the owner of the boarding house discovered that he was a Jew. And as David tells the story many times, he repeats this story to me, you see the demeanor just change in his face. You see the emotions build up in David. And he, he repeats the quote that he cannot get out of his head. We don't want Jews here. Get out. He hasn't forgotten that. How demeaning, how degrading. Or James just says, how evil. But that was a long time ago. Late 40s, I guess it was. We've made tremendous progress since then. Well, that's what I want us to really ask. How how are we doing? This is our annual checkup. A few weeks ago, I read the story of a black man who is a comedian, and he's a popular actor on a sitcom. I'm not aware of the sitcom, and he was invited to come to Colorado Springs to perform in a local comedy club, and so they put him up in a very fancy uh, hotel here in Colorado Springs, and they gave him a, a luxury, one of those luxury suites that you give, you know, famous people who you brought in. So he tells the story that he went to the hotel, he checked in, he went upstairs, dropped his stuff off. He came back downstairs and he wanted to get a drink and relax. But while he was in the lobby, he could tell that there were two employees that kept watching him. 
And they just kept, they just were following him around. He ordered his drink, he sat down and they came up to him and they asked him, are you a guest of this hotel? Can you show us proof? Can you show us like the key to your room? So that we can know that you were supposed to be here. So he redirected the question to them and he says, why is it that there are some 300 white people here in the hotel lobby they're eating and they're drinking but you're not following them around you're not watching them and you're not asking them for proof that they're guests in your hotel why me see that wasn't in the 40s that wasn't in the 50s that wasn't in Mississippi in the 60s that was in Colorado Springs last month Last month, Karen and I were uh, wrapping presents, so we turned on the TV and we watched this, this program that was interviewing people who work in the rental department, the housing department, with mortgages and home sales. And they, they were interviewing prospective home buyers, prospective renters that had bad experiences. There were, uh, there were whites and blacks and Hispanics, and some were realtors and some were renters. And they said, you know, even though the, the Fair Housing Act of 1968, which basically says it prohibited discrimination concerning the safe rental, the sale, the rental, and financing of housing based on race, religion, national origin, sex, handicap, and family status. They said, they said in spite of that being in place, they said they could not tell you how many times they have experienced in their work that you don't even have to see someone that often it's just that someone in that field sees a name or they hear an accent and that person's out. No mortgage, no rental, no sale. Well, those are stories about businesses. That's a story, those are stories about hotels and boarding houses and swimming pools and buses and theaters of the past. But here's where it really gets convicting in James chapter 2 is he is speaking to Christians in the church. I'm convinced that by the language of what he's speaking here in chapter 2, this is not, oh, by the way, here's the theoretical. So I believe this is very realistic. Racism, prejudice, discrimination, favoritism, partiality, however you want to call it, he's identifying it in the church and so the question we, we, we ask is it in our nation in our world that's a little bit more comfortable to ask is it in any way here among us one abolitionist wrote in the mid 1800's of churches in his day there is no place where slavery finds a more secure abode than under the shadow of the sanctuary. I heard a Scottish preacher recently telling the story, he was actually criticizing churches in England, which is not a surprise to hear people in Scotland criticizing people in England. They've just never been good friends. 
But he was saying, now the Anglican churches in England, in, in these fancy ornate buildings, they have special seating for their special members. And you know where that seating is because you can't sit there. It's got some type of wooden-like little rails, like a fence rail, around the places where they sit. And there's a little door, and the members that sit there, they have keys to get in so that no one else can sit there. And their churches... I remember one time when I was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I drove up to this big, big church building and I couldn't help but notice the reserved parking for the senior pastor. So, so follow this, all right? There was right next to this side entrance door, reserved parking for the senior, it was covered. Don't want the guy to get his hair wet, right? Gotta look good. Reserved parking right next to the door, covered. Still covered under the roof was a reserve parking for the senior pastor's wife. They call her the first lady. All right. Still covered by the roof is, was reserve parking for the associate pastor. Still covered by the roof was, was reserve parking for the associate pastor's wife. Now the roof ended, but there is still a place for the youth pastor to park. But he's young. Like, who cares if he gets wet, right? Welcome to Kevin's world. <laughs> And so, and so I thought, oh, this is crazy, man. They're doing this at church. And I thought, I wonder where the handicap park. And so I drove around, and way over here, now there's front doors over here. There was a place for the handicap, but they had to walk a lot further without a roof, unlike the senior pastor, to get to the front door, not a side door. I remember I went to another church in North Baton Rouge, big old church, and this there was reserved parking for the senior pastor. It was just this little door. I don't think anybody else went in it, all right, but him. And there was a there was a electronic bar that went up and down so that no one else could get in his spot. Can can you imagine Jesus having a reserved parking spot? Of course not. Of course not. And that, that is exactly what James is telling us here. It is incompatible with faith. It is incompatible with the very character of Jesus. If, if nothing but verse 1 we hear today, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters, comma, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And it's really easy to talk about this. Yeah, it's in our nation. I can see it. Okay, it gets, it gets harder. It's more painful. Sure, it's in the church. I can see it. <laughs> not in me. I hear criticism of the church by those who see so easily problems in the church, but they fail to see the problems in their own lives. And it's like Kevin was telling us last week, perhaps I think he was, it was referencing James chapter 1. Back up a little bit from the text we're in this morning. These are individuals who fail to look in the mirror. And James speaks of such people in chapter 1 that when they're exposed to God's word as we have been today, it's like those who look in the mirror but they go, oh, don't like that. And so they quickly look away rather than confronting what they see in their own lives. And I need you to hear this. I am not trying to guilt trip anyone for something that's not real to you. 
there's a lot of that junk going on that just, I don't know the sophisticated way to say it, other than just gets on my nerve. That's not real. But I believe, to, that, that's not fair, but I believe it's fair to let this passage take us to a self-evaluation and ask, is there anything of this close to it like this in me? God, show me. So, so, I don't know, three weeks ago I was hiking early one Friday morning. And so I decided I would download some audio sermons on James chapter 2. I'd already done my work, all right? I'm not cheating and stealing other sermons. I'm just going to see what other guys are doing, doing with uh, James chapter 2. And so I found this website, a bunch of preachers. I don't know who they are. I downloaded 10 of them, and I thought I'll pick two or three of these, depending on how much time I hike to listen to. So I, I just randomly clicked on one, and immediately a, a, a British voice came on with a British accent. And without me even thinking about it, my first instinct was, oh, good grief, this is going to be so boring. <laughs> and it wasn't. I almost turned it off because British accent, boring. But I listened to it and it wasn't. And it was relatively short. So that gave me time to listen to another one. I clicked on another one and there it was. An American accent. Now, it was northern, okay? It was northern. But, oh, this is going to be good. Finally. It was horrible. He went on, listen, he went on, I timed it. He went on for 25 minutes before he ever got to verse 1 with his introduction. I was done by the time he got started. And I looked at my phone and this dude is going on longer than an hour. Click, turned him off, not listening. I've clicked on another one and then I found it. A normal, sophisticated, intellectual accent. Just like mine. I mean, this guy was from Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, a good old boy. And I'm telling you, his sermon was absolutely embarrassing. I am not kidding. This is, and so, so all of a sudden, all of a sudden there in, on this trail, it hit me, or I'm wondering if it wasn't the Holy Spirit hitting me, that here you are trying to learn about discrimination and not making judgments about people. And you are. Simply because of their accents. And I learned in that moment, yes, acknowledge the problem in the world. And in our nation. Yes, acknowledge the problem in the church. But most of all, Eddie, you need search your soul and acknowledge in whatever degree, in whatever way the problem is in you. Because see, that's the first step in affecting the change you want to see in the church, in our nation. Prideful denial, and I've got that, but it just kicks the can, as they say, further down the road. I'm never sick. Ever. But Karen knows better. That's why she schedules those annual checkups if it weren't for Karen I'm not sure I'd still have two children alive because they're okay they'll be all right no they don't need to go to the doctor everything's fine when it's not thanks Karen 
I one time tore my meniscus. You remember, I sat when I preached because I tore my meniscus. I was at the doctor and he says, not only do you have a torn meniscus, but Eddie, you also have arthritis in your knee. And I looked at him and I, and I swear, I was kind of joking, I was serious. I do not have arthritis. My grandmother had arthritis. <laughs> I did, I told him that. And he said, okay. And he came up with some other medical term that I'd never heard of. I said, that's what I'll have. <laughs> and... I, I, I tell you, probably we're going to put it on my tombstone. It's going to say, I told you I'm not sick. When in reality, I'm dead. And that's what James is saying here in James chapter 2. You can sit here and say, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But he says here in James chapter 2 in the larger chapter... You may think you're spiritually alive, but if such behavior of partiality is happening in your life, it's an indication of dead faith. So here's what we do. Number one, we acknowledge the problem. Then we move to the second step, and we identify, and I would say act upon the solution. That's where James is going to move now in verse 5 with these words, listen. My dear brothers and sisters. And he's going to, I believe there's three paragraphs here that give three, I probably even more solutions. Because it's not enough. we got a problem. See you all next week. Well, thanks, Eddie. What's the solution? But uh, it's time for me to end. So you've got to figure it out. Here's what I want you to do. I want you on your own to read this passage again and really hone in on verses 5 through 13. I've given that to you in your life groups. Here's what I would love for you to do. Read that. What is it God's wisdom and will here? What are the solutions to this issue that so plagues our lives, our church, and our society? What do you discover there? Talk about that in your life groups. Have someone write it down or do that on your own. Oh, you should be in a life group. And please send me an email. And what that will do is help me in preparing the next sermon that will be part two of this and anybody that will send me an email with basically helping me prepare my sermon with the insight you gain there I will give every single one of you a portion of my salary a portion <laughs> I didn't say what size all right please do that oh I would love that Let, let's continue to wrestle with this for now let us hear let us be reminded of, and let's do, let's live these words of God spoken to us today. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Let's stand and pray together. So I leave it now with you, Holy Spirit, to take this in general and personalize it and speak to us as individuals. Speak to me as you already have been. Not to feel guilty for something that doesn't exist in me, but help me to see what does. And I pray that as we continue this study in James, you'll, you'll show us how we can take steps forward. And Father, we come to you now in this time of prayer. Not just to sing a song to close, but to truly offer these words up to you. And as we do so, I just want to speak to those who are here. There are a lot of us who are coming here with a very heavy heart. And if you know who those people are, I want to encourage you to, to go to them in this moment of prayer. Pray with them.
hug them. If that's you, raise your hand and go to somebody if nobody's coming to you. Our, our shepherds are going to move out into, uh, to, to come and look for you. I, and I, I, um, I'm, I won't point her out, but Brenda is here this morning, and I want to encourage one of our shepherds and those of you that are, are near to Brenda um, to gather around her. Mary is here this morning as we had the memorial for John, and I want uh, a group just to gather up around her and pray for her. If there's anyone else, let's, let's just go into this time of prayer together. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.